Church, how you doing this morning? I'm so excited to uh, get into the Word with you this morning. I uh, just was so excited I almost preached through the worship time and didn't let us uh, get everything else done. So uh, thanks for being flexible, especially the worship team, and uh, allowing me to do that. I am uh, really just uh, feeling in my heart this morning that what we're going to talk about is for you. It's interesting that I uh, had to – some messages are harder. For pastors to put together because they hit a little deeper in our own lives and sometimes it's got to work on me before it can get in me and come through me and get to you so if it feels like i'm just unloading my baggage today um just have mercy on me take what works for you and use it and uh but uh, i'm really excited for those of you that are uh visiting with us today i'm so excited that you're here you picked a fantastic week to be here because there's free food afterwards and so uh you are welcome to come and eat and uh we're glad that you're here and glad that you're with us i think that what we talk about today will be good i think for you also i think what you will find is that there's some truth inside what we're talking about today that no matter where you're at today whether you've been journeying with jesus for years and years and years and years and years or whether that's something you're just thinking about doing we might answer some questions for you today that uh will be real helpful but today i want to talk to you from this idea that failure is not fatal failure is not fatal and uh i was thinking about failure and i was thinking about the first time i can remember experiencing failure in my life it was this week. No, <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I didn't fail this week. Um, <laughs> I was in second grade, and we had moved schools. I had moved schools in first grade and again in second grade. And my new school at recess, all of the kids played soccer. My old school, everyone played dodgeball. But in my new school, everyone played soccer. So I'm the new kid at the new school. It's a little bit into the school year. It's not right at the beginning of the school year. And it's my first recess. All right, you guys can feel my fear already, right? I go outside. Can we be real? I'm brown. I should be able to play soccer, right? Should be in my blood. I didn't play any soccer growing up, but I was like, that's okay. I'll just follow the mob of kids out into the field, and we'll circle up and play dodgeball, right? Because that's probably what they're going to do. We get out there, and there's no dodgeball. There's a soccer ball. And the kids break off, and they start picking teams. Now, I'm the new kid. No one even knows my name. And teams start getting picked. I'll take you. I'll take you. I'll take her. I'll take her. I'll take you. I'll take you. I'll take her. And then one of these things is not like the other. Some of my Sesame Street folks know what happened next. There's Mike just standing in the field, his chin in his chest, walking back away from the field, not on a soccer team. In that moment... I made a vow to never play soccer. So soccer is out for me. But I experienced failure. And I was like, there was this devastating blow of failure that just came. And I remember this wave of just like, but why don't they like me? (laughs) And I went back in and I ended up playing with the first graders because they were playing dodgeball. And what's hilarious, though, is I ended up making one of my very best friends, who's a year younger than me at the time. Yeah, I guess still. But uh, <laughs> and, uh, and God gave me a friend, and it worked out. But it was funny. I just remember that sinking pit in my feeling of being not included in failure. And just like I didn't know what that was before that. I didn't know how that could make you feel. And so it's interesting because since then I've failed tons of times. I've failed at relationships. I don't know if you've ever been there. 
said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing. I've had relationships fail that were my fault. I had relationships fail that I did nothing and just failed. It didn't work. Friendships, more than friendships, failed, failed, failed. I failed at business. I uh, thought about sharing this. I guess I will. And my uh, college years, I thought I'd be an entrepreneur and sell books door to door. So I got in my car from Eugene, Oregon. I drove to Des Moines, Iowa, spent the night in President Farmer's basement. I failed at ping pong against him that night. Drove to Nashville, Tennessee, spent a week in Nashville, Tennessee, after which I got a piece of paper that said, go to Norwich, Connecticut and sell books door to door. So I drove from Nashville. I'm 19 years old. I drove. No, I'm 18 years old. Drove from Nashville to Norwich and spent a week sleeping in my car before I found someone who would let me stay in their place. I went door to door and tried to sell books. And guess what I did not do? I did not sell books. I got back in my car and I drove from Norwich, Connecticut, dropped down to New Jersey and drove straight across Interstate 80 all the way to San Francisco feeling like a failure. I remember I got home to the Bay Area and I remember just this sinking weight of not only had I failed to get rich over the summer, I had actually succeeded in getting more poor. And I was devastated. And instead of selling books door to door, I worked construction in the morning and at night I cleaned a butcher shop and a place where they chopped up fish. I don't know if they call it a fish shop. What do they call that? Fish market. All right. It was a market. Meat and fish. So in the morning, I swung a hammer and climbed ladders, which I was not good at. I failed at that. What I was apparently good at, though, was taking a high-pressure hose and spraying meat chunks off of machines because I succeeded well at that job. But something happened in that failure for me. In that failure, I learned some things about myself. I learned I could live on a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter for an entire week. I learned that if I had a car, I had a house. <laughs> I had transportation. I could get a job. I learned that I didn't have to be afraid to talk to people, that I could initiate conversations. And I learned that everything I dreamed to do didn't have to be success for me to grow and for me to change and for me to evolve. I wish I would have learned how to sell books, but that didn't happen for me. <laughs> so I started looking into the word and I was thinking about this idea of failure and I was thinking, where in the Bible will we go to talk about failure and dealing with failure? And I realized that the Bible is like a murderer's row of failures. I was like, open it up. And I was like, well, we could start right here in the beginning. Adam and Eve. Failures. And I was like, all right, who's the next hero in the story? We can get to Abraham. Failed. Couldn't wait on the Lord for his child to come. Lied about his wife being his sister. I mean, just fails, right? You get to Moses, murderer, fails. Gets angry, hits a staff on the rock, ticks the Lord off, blows it, doesn't get into the promised land. Totally gets robbed on that, by the way. And experience failure. I'm like, jump ahead. And we get into the judges and forget about all the failure that happens in there. And then we get to David, and I'm like, finally, a man after God's own heart. But it's hard to get through that Bathsheba story without going, oh, failures. You look at his kids and you're like, oh, Solomon. And Solomon had it going on. But then you read Ecclesiastes and you're like, whoo, he experienced some failure. It got tough. I was like, all right, we got to get into the New Testament. And I start looking at these disciples and looking at Peter. I like Peter. He's awesome. I was like, oh, how many times does this guy have to put his foot in his mouth? failures 
So I was thinking, okay, there's so much room and material to work with. It's like I've got a glut of material to work with. And then something happened. I started thinking about Jesus. And I was like, Jesus, do you have any input into how we can handle and process failure? Jesus, can you speak to failure? How? I mean, you were perfect. You are perfect. You are God in the flesh. Perfect. So can your story tell us anything about dealing with failure? Then I started thinking about relationships that Jesus had that blew up. I was thinking about his family. You know, his family assumed that he was crazy and tried to have him removed from public speaking. Smart chapter 3. I'm not making it up. They're like, hey, that crazy guy, he's with us. Let's get him out of here. And he had to stop them and say, no, 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 no. Something bigger's happening here. Failure. Interesting. He didn't fail. So then I started thinking, you can do everything right and still experience relational failure. You can be perfect and still have relationships blow up. You know that Jesus had missions and, and things that he sent people on to accomplish? And that when he sent them to accomplish that mission, he gave them tools to be prepared to deal with failure. He wanted to make sure they were ready for failure. So I was thinking about this idea. We all experience failure, but failure is not fatal. So we're going to get into the word this morning, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge us to think a, a little bit about this. I was thinking about one of my favorite movie clips from the latest Rocky movie, and, you know, I, I didn't want to do my best Rocky Balboa voice, but he's talking to his kid, and he's just like, you know, we're not losers. He's like, it's not about getting hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and get up and keep going. And I was thinking about just inspiring us like that, but I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it well enough, so that was my best effort. <laughs> so we're going to take a leap and we're going to talk about Jesus and we're going to get in Mark chapter six. If you want to get into your word and into your Bible with us, and we're going to walk through this incredible story of Jesus going to his hometown and this experience that he has with people who he knows, maybe the closest relationships of his 33 year life. And then in this time, he's going to give us a picture of how we can overcome and deal with failure. Because I'm going to be real with you for a minute. Failure can do some things to us. Failure can par- paralyze us. There's nothing like a relationship blowing up to get us stuck. And say, you know what? That's it. I'm done. There's nothing like you walking into work and finding out some bad news that things aren't going to be the way you thought they were. That promotion isn't going to be there. Maybe that position isn't even going to be there for you. And all of a sudden, we're done. I'm tapping out. I'm in. There's nothing like when we are in a position and we're saying, God, I really need something to happen a certain way. And it doesn't happen the way that we think that God should do it. And we get paralyzed and we get stuck. So we're going to dive into this idea for a little while this morning. And then we're going to have fun and we're going to barbecue and eat food. And you're going to forgive me for taking us here. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to move on. But I just want to dive in this. As we get into this story, uh, Jesus is about to go to Nazareth, which is his hometown. It's actually the second time and last time on his public journey that he goes to Nazareth. The other time he goes to Nazareth, um, I think we see the story in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, uh, we see that he shows up in Nazareth. He's now a, uh, a rabbi. He's not the carpenter's son anymore, so he gets permission to speak uh, and to do the reading that day. Um, the reading is from Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads the scripture that says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free. He closes the book, and he says, 
all y'all just got to recognize that just happened in your presence. That's my paraphrase. And so, so he says, that's what just happened. You just saw this scripture happening in real life. And they freak out. They're like, that's amazing. And I think we're going to throw you off a cliff for saying that. And so the mob actually comes to him and they're going to throw him off a cliff. And he walks through the crowd unscathed and he leaves his hometown. And he's gone from that point till this point. So it's the second and final time that he'll go see the people that he grew up with. Now, as we talk about Nazareth, it's probably important that we understand a little bit about what Nazareth was like, because I think we all have a picture of Jesus, you know, and we think Jesus and we think Bethlehem and the manger and we think just kind of what the town might have been like. And then we know that that's not where he was actually growing up. He grew up in Nazareth. But what was Nazareth like? Nazareth was a little tiny town in the hills that was about 40 acres big, give or take. Had a cliff on one side because they try to throw him off of that cliff. It's a pile of dirt. And most historians agree that at the time that Jesus was living there, the population of the town was about 500 people. Now, some will push it all the way up to 1,200, but no one pushes it over 1,200. As a matter of fact, Nazareth was so uh, little that if you look through the Old Testament completely, there's never a mention of it. And if you look at Jewish historians, Josephus of that time, they don't even reference it. It was so inconsequential and small. It was archaeology that had to prove that there was even a town there. And it wasn't until the 4th century A.D. that a church finally popped up in the hometown of Jesus. It was just a little small town. Now, here's something you've got to realize. If you live with about 500 people for 30 years, just think about that. There's no news. There's no Internet. There's no Facebook. There's no other forms of entertainment. You know everybody's stuff. Everything. 500 people, period. 30 years he's lived there. He knows them. He knows their kids. He knows their kids' stories. He knows who did what. He knows who does what trade. And they know him too. And so here's Jesus. He's coming back home to this small town. It's the second time he visits this group of about 500 people. Do you think he cares about them? The second time in the two years of ministry that he comes back and visits them. So verse chapter 6 of Mark, verse 1, it begins with Jesus left there. Well, I better say where Jesus left since he left somewhere. So what's happening in the story right up until this point is amazing. Jesus has just crossed over um, and uh, over water and uh, uh, he calm the storm it was amazing he lands and and when he lands he meets the demoniac he meets the guy with demons and it's that crazy story in the scripture of power the guy shows up the guy is like he's like a steroided out just crazy guy that they try to chain him and he just breaks the chains and he lives out in a cave next to the water and the boat lands and he comes running out and he sees jesus and it's like Rah! you know here's crazy guy in chains and jesus is like stop and and uh Cast out the demons that are in him. It's amazing display of power. He sends the demons into the pigs that are in the field, and the pigs run and jump in the water and drown. I mean, things are happening. He's calming storms. Pigs are dying. And here's what happens when the pigs die. It's amazing. It says, uh, it says in, uh, let's see, uh, Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 17. So after all of these miracles, he begins to talk to the people in that town, Capernaum, and it says, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. That was the reception he got. He calms the storm. He casts out the demon. The guy's normal now. They're freaking out. The pigs are gone, right? And they're like, uh, can you just leave, Jesus? Can you just leave? 
Do you ever have just an amazing moment and you're so like just hyped and amped up and it's like, check this out. Look at what God did. This is my story. This is amazing. And someone's just like, uh, can you just leave? I don't want that right now. I don't need that story. That's what Jesus experiences. That's what he's going through through this moment, right? So from there, the, the ruler of the local synagogue's name is Jarius and Jarius comes to him and says, my daughter, my daughter is close to death, and, and you're a rabbi. Would you come and lay hands on her and pray for her? And, and we've heard that miracles happen. And Jesus agrees, and he's moving through the town, and crowds are starting to kind of gather around him. And in that moment, the woman with the issue of the blood, she pushes through the crowd. She touches the hem of his garment. A miracle happens. He stops. He recognizes that power has gone out of him. He acknowledges her. Healing and miracles happen. After that happens, he's still on his way to Jairus' house. And on his way, the servants show up, and they say, hey, don't worry about it. The girl already passed away. And Jesus looks at Jairus. He says, just believe. Just believe. Power and belief. There's power and faith. He says, just don't stop believing. Somewhere there's a journey song in there. He's like, don't do it. Just don't do it. And Jairus is like, what else do I got? So they go and they show up at the town. And they show up at his house. And Mark chapter 5 verse 40 leads with Jesus saying, the girl's not dead. She's asleep. But they just laughed at him. That's those last two encounters, right? He showed up, he, power went out, and they said, can you leave? And he shows up to heal this girl, the toucher, and it says they laugh at him. But Jesus pushes through their laughter. Why? Because he said, just believe. He shows up, puts his hands on the girl, prays for her, says, little girl, wake up. And she gets up. He's like, make this girl some food. She's hungry. It's pretty awesome. You can read the story. So then he leaves there, and we're in chapter 6. And it says, Jesus left there. That's where there is, okay? Miracles, power display, people touching the hem of his garment, little girls waking up after being in the grave, basically. It says he left there and he went to his hometown and he was accompanied by his disciples. Now listen, he's got the disciples with him because they are training. They are learning. Disciple means follower, learner of. They're training with him and he takes them to his hometown. This isn't like a, hey, I'm going to go hang out with my mom for two weeks before, you know, we start the real stuff. He is on mission, and he cares about these people that he knows. And it says he's accompanied by his disciples. It says that when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. This is interesting because we know the last time he taught in the synagogue at this place, in this small town, it didn't go so well. But apparently they were impressed enough with him. He had a big enough uh, following that they gave him another chance to teach in the synagogue. And it says, and many who heard him were, now if you're an underliner and you have your Bible out, you should underline the word amazed or amazing every time it shows up uh, in this story because it is crazy uh, how this works. It says, it says, they were amazed. And look at the response. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What is this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? Isn't this just the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? Listen to this. And they took offense in him. Wow. I think Jesus doesn't know what it's like to have relationships blow up, to have a, a mission and a purpose and a dream, even though you've done nothing wrong. He's perfect. Nothing wrong. And still this reaction to him. Verse 4, Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Only where it cuts the deepest, right? Only where it hurts the most. Verse 5, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Verse 6, 
we're going to just park right here for a minute. It says, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now listen, when I look in my Bible, there is only two times that Jesus is amazed. Now when people saw Jesus, they were constantly amazed. They were constantly amazed. Time after time after time, they were amazed. They were amazed. They were amazed. He did a miracle. They were amazed. He spoke with authority. They were amazed. He answered their question. Who should we pay taxes to? Well, whose face is on the coin? They were amazed at his answers. They were amazed at his replies. They were amazed at the power of God demonstrated in his life. But only two times do the scriptures tell us that Jesus interacted with someone and then he left amazed. I want you to catch this because this is one of them. It says he was amazed at what? Their lack of faith you know he was amazed he was shocked he was surprised it got his attention he was literally amazed at their lack of faith the only other time this happens that jesus is amazed is in matthew chapter 8 verse 10 and and uh, matthew chapter 8 uh verse 10 he's dealing with the centurion and it says that uh, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished or amazed and said the following. I tell you the truth, I have not found any, anyone in Israel with such great faith. You see, the centurion showed up and said, Jesus, I need a healing to happen. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go. And he goes, no, 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 I understand authority. You're in charge. You just say that it'll happen and it'll happen and I'll go back and be, it'll be fine. And Jesus was amazed. He's like, whoa, I have not seen faith like that. You know what amazes Jesus? Great faith, lack of faith. Did you hear that? That's what amazes Jesus. Your faith or lack of faith amazes Jesus. Now, listen, both things have tremendous power. Faith has tremendous power. You know what else has tremendous power? Lack of faith has tremendous power. I mean, think about it throughout time. Lack of faith is what, what, what got the flood going. People didn't believe. Right? In Noah's time, there's this epic lack of faith. I mean, Eve... Here's from the serpent, and her faith gets called to task. Lack of faith. You look throughout the scriptures time and time again. Lack of faith. Lack of faith trusted in Jesus. Tremendous consequences to a lack of faith. Lack of faith is powerful. You know what happens when we experience failure sometimes? Our faith gets called to question. Our faith either goes one direction or the other. I'm worried sometimes that Jesus is amazed when we hit tension when things aren't going our way when we're unimpressed with what he's doing when we can't see the forest but through the trees we're standing before the lord and he's saying where is the faith it's powerful the scriptures tell us that without faith it's impossible to please god because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him romans tells us paul says that we maintain that a man is justified by faith Apart from observing the law, Romans also tells us that faith comes when we hear the message, and that message is the word of God. Our faith matters. How we respond in times of tension, how we respond through failure, what comes out of our faith in those moments? What comes out of your faith? What comes out of mine? I think it's amazing. I think it can be amazing goes on to say, then Jesus went around and he was teaching from village to village. And he was calling, he called the 12 to him. So he leaves. He leaves. 
And he moves on. He begins teaching from village to village and says, calling the twelve to him. He sends them out two by two, and he gives them authority over evil spirits. Verse 8. Here's his instructions. He says, hey, take nothing for you for your journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. He's like, hey, you're going to be fully dependent on me. Don't take anything else with you. I'm going to send you on a mission. Wear sandals but not an extra tunic. And the sandals are significant here in just a moment. He says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Verse 11, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Verse 12, then they went out, preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. But I want to focus in on verse 11. He says, if it's not welcome and people don't listen to you, you got to shake it off. you got to shake it off. Here's the thing that's really hard. Jesus wanted them to know right off the bat, even if you're right in the middle of my will, even if you're right in the middle of doing what I've called you to do, you're going to experience some rejection. This world has fallen and things aren't going to just go. Free will is going to get in there. Things are going to get in there. And it's not going to just be success all the time. And you can't let failure paralyze you. you got to learn, come on now, to shake it off. Right? you got to shake off the haters. Some of you are still with me. Some of you I lost a while ago. I'll bring you back in here. Why is it important to shake it off? Why is the significance of that? Well, you can get into the fact that the way they interacted in that culture with dust was powerful. I mean, they lived in dust. Uh, we, we read last week that uh, 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 when, he was, when he was praying, oh, my goodness, my brain just went to fuzz. He marched around Jericho. Joshua, thank you. When he was praying, he threw dust on his head as a sign of just, you know, I'm, I'm completely submitted. Dust was significant for, for that kind of reason. But there was something significant about the visual. Come on now. Of I tried to communicate the mission of God in this moment. I tried to be on pace, and you weren't having it. It didn't work. So I am going to make a physical understanding that I'm moving off to the next thing. Now, here's what's crazy. Were they successful in their mission? You bet. Did they succeed everywhere they went? No, they did not. Did they change culture in the world because of the courage that they had and the amazing faith they had? Yes, they did. Success on the other side of many failures. Some of you are thinking right now of people in your life who you've tried to just share the love of God with, and it didn't go well. And so what happened? You got paralyzed. You're like, whoop, tried that, I'm done. Drop the mic, I will be not that guy. Right? I will be not that guy. Maybe the word's just warning you today. You know what? You've got to shake that off and keep doing the mission that Jesus called you to do. Now listen, his family rejected him. But his family eventually became some of the greatest allies. One of my favorite just anecdotes of the scripture is that his brother james believes that he's the son of god before this is over his brother james not just some guy james his physical brother james his half brother i want you to think for a moment those of you that have a brother or sister what they would have to do to convince you that they were god Just think for a minute. What would it take? To me, the biggest testimony in the entire scripture to the authenticity of Jesus as the Son of God is that James believed it. If James believed it, anything is possible. James literally went to his death defending the deity of his half-brother. That's insane. If that doesn't make your mind just go, James believed it. 
He went from, hey, let's pull this guy out of here because he's cuckoo, right, to I will die because I know who Jesus is, the Son of God. How did he get there? What did Jesus teach us about that? He said, hey, you can push through. That failure isn't fatal. It's not the end of the story. Here's what happens. We don't know the end of the story, so we think we have the end of the story. And we don't. I look through Hebrews 11 at the heroes of the faith and how many of them went to heaven not seeing the end of the story. You don't know the end of the story. There's hope where it feels hopeless. You can't stay stuck in hopelessness. you got to shake it off. You can't stay there. We can't give up on the mission that Jesus has called us to because some program we tried didn't work. Because we tried to step out in faith and use our gift and it didn't come around the way we wanted it to. So we said, I'm done. I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. And we get stuck. And all of a sudden, I just wonder if Jesus isn't amazed at our lack of faith. And the miracle power starts to shut down just a little bit. He was done. He's like, I mean, I love how nonchalantly Mark tells us he just laid hands and prayed and you know healed a few people. But it wasn't that big of a deal there because of their lack of faith. Are you kidding me? The miracle power of God is on display. There's 500 people in this town. Like even if like five of them got healed. That's amazing. But Mark said it wasn't that big a deal because they didn't have great faith. He went away. You know what? He didn't come back to that town again. That's it. This is the last time he hangs out in his hometown. Why? Because he was amazed at how, I mean, all the miracles that were happening. He was just with Jairus' daughter. He was just, you know, pigs are drowning. The stories are happening. It's amazing. He shows up. And he's like, I'm here. I'm going to teach. I love you guys. And they're like, dude, those are your sisters. They're kind of irritating. Brothers, okay. Sorry, ladies. The brothers are probably more irritating. We know the ladies were not irritating. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> so Jesus teaches his disciples that not every interaction is going to end positively. Not every story is going to end the way you want it to end. Not everything you're praying for, hoping for, dreaming for in the moment is going to happen the way you want it to happen. And it can't paralyze you. It can't stop you. You can't get stuck. You've got to shake it off. You've got to move to the next place. You've got to stay on mission. You've got to believe that God is who he says he is and can do what he says he will do. And that you can push forward because there's victory on the other side. And there's a kind of faith that activates the power of God. Great faith that amazes Jesus. And we've got to fall on that side of the pendulum because the story that we have is too important. The lives that we interact with are too important. God cares too much for us to get stuck. Don't be stuck. Shake it off. Look at somebody and say, you got to shake it off. Ooh, like three of you did it. Let's try it again. Look at somebody and say, you got to shake it off. Yeah, wake up, church. We got this. Woo! Man, Jesus overcame missional failure. He redefined the win. We don't see instant, instant success and we give up. How many times we think, oh, it didn't work and I'm done. God put a dream in my heart. I tried it. It didn't work and I'm done. We don't see sometimes the end result. I had a girl in my youth group, one of the quietest girls I ever had in my youth group. She, her, her name was Holly. She's amazing. Love her dearly. She came up to me. She's in eighth grade, I think, at the time. And she said, Pastor Mike, I'm going to start a Bible study at my school. I was like, you're awesome, Holly. I'm going to help you. Let's pick a book. I'll work with you. I was like, let's do it. 
So I met with her. She picked the book. She's like, I'm going to do this every Tuesday at lunch. I'm going to do a Bible study. I'm going to invite all my friends. I was like, awesome. You should do it. She started it. I met with her the next week. I wasn't allowed to go to the campus there. And she said, no one came to my Bible study, Pastor Mike, but I did it. I was like, awesome. Are you doing it next week? Yep, I'm doing it next week. She put flyers together, put them in people's lockers and did all that cool stuff because she was just a sweetie and she was that girl, you know. So the next week she does her Bible study again. And guess how many people came? None. Nobody came. She did it every Tuesday for her entire eighth grade year. Nobody came. I remember at the end of the year I was talking to her about it. And she's like, you know, Pastor Mike, nobody, nobody came to my Bible study. And you know what happened? And I said, what? And she goes, I just prayed for all of them. Holly went from one of the quietest girls in my youth group to one of the strongest leaders in high school that I've ever seen. And everybody else would have looked at this little, quiet, tiny speck of a girl doing a Bible study by herself on Tuesday and just thought, she's kind of weird. But God was using that failure to make her strong, to make her bold, to give her a heart for people, to change her life, to change her identity, to change her name, to change who she was. And she became impactful and she became powerful and her faith grew and her compassion grew and God built in her gifts that were bigger than Holly. Why? She had great faith. She wasn't defined by what we would have called a failure. I don't know about you, but if I started a Bible study here every Tuesday and nobody came, I would start something different. Right? You would too. But Holly defined it differently. She said, I heard from God, I'm just going to obey. And if it doesn't look like victory here, who cares? Victory isn't defined that way. God changes the paradigm of what we see as victory. I don't know about you, but I want to have amazing faith. I want to know that Jesus can use anything, even my pain. Even my hard times. I was thinking about how some of the greatest healers are the ones that have gone through the greatest tragedies. As a pastor, I get story after story. People who are are, are just great healers. They're compassionate. They reach people. They can meet people who have gone through horrible tragedies. And then when they share their story, I'm floored that they're still standing. Because they've come through pain. And they've come through tragedy. And on the other side of that faith, they've become not just full of faith, but some of the greatest, most anointed healers and counselors and workers with people. Why? Because they didn't look at what we would have decided was failure the way that I or you would have looked at it. They got to the other side of that and said, Jesus is going to use this thing that everybody else thinks is failure. And they become some of the greatest healers. So here's my question. In, in just a moment, we're going to play a video for you. And the band can come in. And uh, we're going we're gonna to play a video, and the video is going to take us into a song. But I just want to ask you this. If I were to just get real with you today, what is it that you know that you need to shake off? Are there relational failures that have held your heart captive? Maybe in your family, maybe a marriage that didn't go the way you wanted it to go. Maybe a marriage you're in right now. Are there relational failures that have held your heart captive? Have you failed in your mission? You know you were supposed to do something. You were called. You were set apart. You were designed, and it didn't work out the way you wanted it to or the way you should have. And you said, you know what? That's it. I'm done. Yeah, I know I have a gift to do that, but I'm not using that. Nope, didn't work. They didn't appreciate me. I'm out. Can you give Jesus another chance? Have you just failed and it's been bad choices? You've been caught in the habitual pattern of sin has got a hold of you. There's something going on right now. Nobody knows, but you know and God knows. And you've been staying in that failure like there's no hope. 
Maybe it's time to shake that off. You know, the message Jesus told them to tell people was to repent, was to turn, was to change. And then he provided the power for that transformation to happen at the cross. You know what's funny? There is nobody who looked at the cross and said, this is success. Nobody. But Jesus didn't define success the way we define success. Success for him was on the other side of what everybody else thought was failure. Success was giving you a way home to him. Some of us have just resolved ourselves to spin around and around and around and stay hold, stay holding on to failure. It's time to shake that off. Maybe failure came to visit you. You did nothing wrong. You were just obeying and honoring God. And failure came and visited you. Jesus was perfect in all kinds of relational explosions and things that he had to navigate. And you're in good company. But that failure that came and visited you has paralyzed you. And you're stuck now and you don't want to trust. And you don't want to move forward. And you don't want to believe that God can do what God says he can do. I'm going to play just a really short video. And this is the story behind the song it is well. And some of you know the story, and you'll just Im- immediately understand it. Uh, some of you, as you hear the, the hymn, Hit as Well, the pain that was there when this song was written is real. But God redeemed what everyone else would think is a failure. And, and I would bet tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people have declared to God that it is well because of the other side of this man's pain. And so what's going to happen is you're going to see this video and the video is going to end. It's about two minutes. And then I've asked the team if they would just lead us. And here's what I want you to do. When the band begins to play, I'm going to invite you to stand. And whatever it is that you need to shake off, I want to invite you to have an honest moment with Jesus and say, God, here it is. And I don't want you to sing this song until you can mean it. Okay. So if it's not well, don't say it is well with my soul. Okay. If it's not well, you have permission to wait until you're there. But you don't have permission to not shake it off today because we're going to get there. Okay, church? So why don't you take a look at this and then the band will lead us. The year was 1871 in the city of Chicago. Horatio Spafford, a lawyer, had worked hard and over the years managed to build a happy, comfortable life with his beautiful wife and five children. He'd invested heavily in the bustling world of Chicago real estate and it was paying off nicely. Times were good. He had a wonderful family. His wealth was growing. His future was bright. His faith in God was strong. Horatio Spafford had peace. But 1871 was the year that everything changed. It was the year of the Great Chicago Fire. In one single catastrophe, Horatio lost all of his investment property. Everything was destroyed in the fire. Clinging to the love and support of his family, he went to work to rebuild what he had lost. For the next two years, Horatio dedicated himself to rebuilding the city he loved and to assist all the people left homeless and impoverished by the fire. But tragedy struck again. In the midst of rebuilding, Horatio's only son died suddenly. Filled with grief and weary from his work, The Spafford family decided it would be a good time to take a vacation. They would sail to England where they would join some close friends. Horatio's hope was that the rest would once again bring them some peace. Just before leaving on their trip, Horatio was delayed with urgent business, but he sent his family on ahead, his wife and their four girls. He would catch up with them on the other side of the Atlantic. But on November 22, 1873, their ship was struck by another sailing vessel and within 20 minutes sank 
to the bottom of the ocean. Mrs. Spafford was found unconscious, clinging to the wreckage. Her daughters, Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie, were never found. Days later, Horatio would receive a telegram from his wife, only two words long, saved, alone. Horatio boarded the next ship to be with his grieving wife. Standing on the deck heading across the Atlantic, he saw with his own eyes the very spot where his four daughters and 226 other people drowned. Returning to his cabin, Horatio Spafford penned these lyrics. Oh, mm -hmm.
here's what we're going to do to just kind of, you know, physically he told them to shake the dust off, but we're going to do something a little bit different if you're comfortable. Here's what I'd like you to do. If you're comfortable, I would like you to just put your hands out in front of you, kind of cup them. Just kind of like this. And in a spiritual sense, I want you to put into your hands right now whatever it is that you know you need to shake off. There's some failure that's been haunting you. There's some sin that you've been holding on to. There's some pain from just unmet expectations that's in there. There's some perspective that you've had a lack of faith instead of great faith. I imagine writing this song and just contemplating, I've got more time on that side of heaven with my loved ones than I had on this side. I have more See, it's perspective. He changed, Jesus changes our perspective on just how amazing things are. So here's, we're going to sing that again, just the chorus. And maybe, maybe Ryan, can, you can lead us, and, and maybe just the voices. But you, just spiritually, you've put that in your hands. I want you to just offer that today to the Lord and say, I'm going to shake this off as we sing this one more time. It is well with my soul. It is
you, Father. It is well. It is well with my soul. That's amazing faith, guys. We talk a lot about amazing grace, but that is amazing faith. To trust God, to be willing to shake it off. To be able to say, God, I know I've experienced some things that are not the way I would have done it, but you are greater. And my trust and my hope is in you. So today I'm shaking it off. In just a moment, we're going to go eat food together and fellowship, and it's going to be great, and we're going to have fun, and all that's good. But I, for some of you, you can't leave this moment yet, so the prayer teams are going to be here, right? Yeah, and if you need to come forward and, and push a little bit further, that's that's going to be cool. But but uh, we're you know we're in just in just a minute, but we'll give you a chance to everyone that needs to leave. And let me give you just some instant instruction. The food's cooking outside, but it's raining. But I promised the Lord that if He sent some rain to help our firefighters out, I wouldn't complain. So it's just because it rained on my barbecue doesn't mean I get to complain. And so we're going to eat upstairs. I think that's the, the direction. And the food's being cooked out there, but you're going to bring the food upstairs. So you don't even have to go outstairs at all. Uh, you can just head upstairs and everything will be ready, I think. I haven't been up there. I'm believing on faith that everything is ready up there because uh, we have amazing team members. And, and this, this is especially to say thank you uh, to so many of you who have served. Some of you have served and, and the valve has just kind of run dry and we want to just fill your cup today and say thanks and how much we appreciate you some of you are just like this is time it's going to be this is going to be the moment i look back and remember that was the first day i knew i was supposed to be part of the body of christ and next week we're going to talk about how every gift fits and we're all part of it and uh and uh the amazing power of the oneness that jesus prayed for and so come back next week and we're going to do that it's going to be amazing but uh the band's going to play we're going to get out of here we're going to have some fun and then the worship the prayer teams will stay around and just just hang kind of quietly as the band plays and lets us out and if you want to be prayed for the the prayer teams are up here Look at someone and tell them you made it. Amen. Give someone a high five. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the food. God bless you guys. Head on upstairs and we'll eat together and we'll fellowship. Amen.